a little boy was talking to his father, and he said, Dad, where were you born? He said, Son, I thought you knew, but I was born in Kentucky. He said, Where was Mama born? He said, Son, she was born in Indiana. Daddy, where was I born? You, you were born in Georgia. What about my sister? Where was she born? She was born in Alabama. About that time, the little boy got a big old smile on his face. And he said, Dad, isn't it great that God got us all together? Man, that's how I feel on a day like this when I think about our church family and, and realize that we've come from more than 65 nations of origin, different parts of this country, different neighborhoods, different backgrounds, but God brought us all together as one family. Isn't God good? <laughs> Makes me think of that a little chorus. I used to sing in church. If you know it, maybe you'd sing it along with me. It, it goes like this. We are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirit with the spirit of God. We are one in the bond of love. That's the intent for the, for the family of God, that, that we come together, not just on a day like this, but as the family of God, and when we begin a relationship with Him, that we recognize we are one. And, and that's even laid out for us in the book of Romans in, in chapter 8 and verse 15. Listen to what it says. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And, and by Him, we cry, Abba, our Daddy. Father, and the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and, and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, we are a part of the family of God. That's exciting. The Bible uses that terminology regularly. In, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, it, it says this, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. That's who we are gathered together. We're, we're part of God's family. And, and so as I thought about this and I realized we're going to have children of all ages in the room today and, and people from all of our campuses, I, I thought it may be a good time just to talk about some of our family rules. Do you have family rules? Sometimes they're not laid out. I mean, it, it, at our house, we don't have them on the wall or anything, but, but there are purpose packed family rules. I know this because I sent out a text yesterday and I just said to our family, to the guys and, and to my bride, Kimberly, I said, hey, could, could you just shoot me back a text with some of what you feel like are our family rules? And, and so I, I got some of those I'm going to share with you. They were pretty consistent, um, except only one of them said this, although this was a true rule, but one of them said, don't talk with food in your mouth. Yes, that's a, uh, that's a family rule, uh, but m most of them were like this. Um, our love runs deep. So, so I think every one of them said, we, we've learned that family is important and, and that 
Family will always be there. I, I think because as little boys, I, I, I taught my sons when they would argue, when they would get in a fight, I would pull them aside and I would say, guys, get it together. Because you're always going to be together. So it was so warming to my heart to see that every one of them said something like that, that, that we're a family that stays together. And then there was this concept, the idea that the Bible is our standard. That we make our decisions not based on what our friends or, or their parents say is okay, but that, that we have a standard. And that's been a part that's stayed in our family. Um, we have this idea that you should represent us well. So you, you've probably heard me talk about that with our littlest, with Anaya, and, and I tell her anytime she leaves the house, remember, uh, you're a purvis, and, and you're a princess, and, and you represent Jesus. But, but that's true for all of us. Uh, we represent not just ourselves when we leave the house, but we represent that name that, that I got from my parents, and, and most of all, we represent Jesus. We've, we've tried to teach in our home the importance of just being kind, and so when perhaps on rare occasion someone's not come to another person even in our home, we deal with that. And that's because of another overarching principle that we, we've taught, which is that the home should, should be a safe place. That that should be a place you can always come to. And you realize you're always going to be loved. I think about some of those things that have been instrumental in our life, and I recognize, man, the same is true of the church, isn't it? And even some of those same rules should be there. Uh, the church should be a safe place. Uh, this is not a, a museum where we come and look at old saints. This is a hospital for sick sinners like me. And, and so this should be a, a place where we come and, and, and where we are encouraged and where we grow together. And so as a result of that, I, I want to challenge you for these next few minutes just from the Word of God with some simple truths, maybe quotes that you've heard, some verses of Scripture, and then we'll have a time of prayer. Because Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So I want to give you five family rules, all right? So just remind you that uh, you might want to take pen, pencil, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, something you can write with, your two thumbs on an electronic device, a pad or the back of your hand, something you can write on. And uh, let's dig into these truths. And uh, as my friend says, let's get jiggy with it. All right. <laughs> so today's time in God's word is, is what we call more topical so I'm going to give you some principles based on Scripture that are contextually true, but it, it's not where we're just going verse by verse. We'll pick that up again next week as we go back into the book of Romans. But I'm going to give you these five family rules. Number one, we have the directions. Say that with me. We have the directions. I want you to think back to the last time you got something new. Um, we got some new appliances in our house this week. Thank you. Jesus, because uh, let's just say the dishwasher's been down for the count for a long time. So anyway, when we we're getting these appliances, when they brought in the appliances, they, they also brought in all this paperwork. And 
man, I haven't seen this, this much paperwork since I was in school. And, and you can see some of it's not even open. And when I was thinking about that and I was thinking about this message, I, I realized that's what I do way too often. I get something new and I get the directions, but they never make it off the shelf. I, I think I know better. And there are times in my life where I've gotten into trouble because um, I thought I knew how to do something. And, and finally, after I'd messed things up, you know what I do? I, I pull out the directions. I, I sat yesterday and just stared at our microwave. I mean, how hard is a microwave? But it's new. It's different. You know what I needed to do? I needed to look at the directions. We have the directions. I want you to understand as you go through life that you have everything you need. That's what the Bible says. In fact, it says that in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, His divine power has given us everything. Say everything. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So how do we have everything we need? Well, if you're a follower of God, through Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. So God is always with you. But you also have his word. And what we're taught is that God's word tells us everything we need. In fact, I love this verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's nothing you'll face in life that the directions don't address. Our problem is we leave the directions on the shelf. We don't read the directions. And then sometimes when we do, we don't apply the directions. The psalmist said in Psalms 119 and verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't know what you're facing today, but I know there are probably challenges in your life. And as you navigate those, I, I want to ask you to begin to ask this question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? As parents, as grandparents, as you're trying to raise children in a rapidly changing culture, don't just do what the culture says. Ask, what does the Bible say? Make a decision today to choose to be influenced more by the word than you are by the world. We have the directions. That's one of those rules. There's a second one, though. You're going to recognize this. I don't know who first said this. It wasn't me, but I've said it a lot since. A Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. If you've got a relationship with Jesus... I'm just telling you, it's not okay for you to be unkind. And yet we struggle to do that, don't we? I, I'm telling you, it, it's just interesting. I've had times, even in like the grocery store, where maybe somebody that got sideways about something in church or they didn't like a decision they make, I pass them in the grocery store and I feel like I'm playing hide and seek. I mean, they're, they're hiding behind the orange juice or sometimes... People get mad and don't speak to us, right? Or sometimes they're just flat out rude. As Christ followers, we don't have that option. And one of the reasons we know that is because the directions tell us so. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. 
Our reason for kindness is because we need kindness, right? Wow. You know how much you'd stand out in this world if you just choose to be kind? That's why even though our children have lived in different parts of the country, we've taught them some basic manners. Our, our boys have grown up knowing what it means to be a gentleman, how, how to hold the door for another person, how to say please and, and thank you, and how to treat others with respect. Man, if you're just a kind person, it's going to stand out in this world. That's what we all want. That's what we should give. That's what Jesus said in Luke 6, 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. But here's what I've learned. As much as I know that, I sometimes fail. So, uh, you know, if, if we were at Celebrate Recovery, maybe this would be a point where I would say, Hi, I'm Paul. Yeah, so if you haven't done that, we'll try that again. Hi, I'm Paul. I am uh, a graced, saved sinner, and sometimes I'm unkind. And so when we say you don't have the liberty to be unkind, it doesn't mean you can't be unkind. So what does it mean? It, it means that when we're unkind as a follower of Christ, what we should experience is the conviction of the Holy Spirit within us saying, wait, that's not okay. Don't do that. That happened to me. It happens a lot, but it happened to me. Uh, we were with our students in London. It was Sunday morning, and we were making an effort to go to church. Now, all of our trip had to do with the things of God. It, it would have been okay if, if we said, hey, we're we're going to do some touring today. We're, we're not going to go to a church service. But that was not an option for us. And so literally we had ridden the train uh, about an hour. And, and then we were on this walk. And we realized we were going to be late for church. And this was a big church. And a lot of people were gathering there. And they're being very careful as people uh, came in. And, and just as I was about to walk through this door, this lady kind of, not in a bad way, but she kind of stepped in front of me. And they were checking her bags. And I'm thinking I'm late for church. And here I am walking walking into church, and this lady kind of cuts me, and I go, and then it's like I froze. I'm like, you knucklehead. You're literally walking into church, and you're making, you're making faces and gestures at a lady. That is not kind. I didn't find that lady. Fortunately, her face is not planted in my mind. But let me tell you what I did have to do. We, we gathered together with those on our team a little later, and I said, hey, I got to confess something. I was not kind. That's what it means to not have the liberty to be unkind. When you recognize you do something wrong, you try to make it right. 
That should be a basic rule. We have the directions. A Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. And then here's another quote for you. Bitterness is the poison we drink while we wait for another person to die. Again, if you've hung out here long, you've heard me say that. Who knows who said this? Google it, and it, it's attributed to a lot of different people. But, but I like that quote because it was meaningful to me. I remember sitting on the back row of a church service, and it was a message on forgiveness. And, and I heard that quote for the first time, and I realized that I had some unforgiveness in my heart and mind. And that bitterness was hurting me. The, the reason it hurts us is because usually the person we're bitter at, they're not thinking about us. They've moved on. But you're laying in bed at night trying to think how you can get back with them. Bitterness. That's why Scripture says you've got to be careful about that. And by the way, since we acknowledge we all blow it, right? We're all sinners. We might as well make a decision to forgive regularly. So let me just talk for a minute about forgiveness. That, that's kind of what the rule is, really. Forgive. Say forgive. forgive. What is forgiveness? One person defined it this way. Forgiveness is choosing to live peacefully with the consequences of another person's sin. I would write that down. Forgiveness is choosing to live peacefully with the consequences of another person's sin. So when someone sins against you, there are going to be consequences whether you forgive or not. Forgiveness is when you choose to live peacefully with that. That doesn't mean that you're going to forget it. You, you hear forgive and forget. That's not really a thing. We're not able to do that. We wish we could. You don't forget it. It doesn't mean you remain vulnerable so you don't keep yourself in a situation where you're going to keep getting abused or, or hurt or, or victimized by whatever happened. And it doesn't mean you're letting someone off the hook if there are real consequences to what they've done. But it means that you're not going to be controlled by what they've done to you. You're not going to let the bitterness eat you up. It's a great quote by MLK. He says, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a permanent attitude. So, so church, that's got to be one of the rules. We must forgive. And, and it's likely on a big day like this where we're all gathered together, there may even be some in this room that need to forgive others in this room. You, you had a disagreement. You hurt one another. You, you expressed your opinion too strongly and whatever, forgive. Why? When Jesus taught us to pray, he comes to a point in that model prayer in Matthew 6 and verse 12 where he says this, you know it, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But then he says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I, I, I wish I could tell you I fully understand how this works. But I can tell you this. We have the directions. And the directions tell us if we live with an unforgiving spirit, it affects our ability to be forgiven. That's why it's the poison that kills us. 
That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. I wonder, uh, I wonder if you're giving the devil a foothold. That's why we would teach our boys, hey, you're, you're always going to be together, so let's get it together right now. And they're different. All four of our boys and, and then Anaya the fifth, they're all different. But we're family. And you know what I've discovered the hard way? At the end of life, there's only room for about six people around that bed. It's generally going to be those closest to you. It's going to be your family. So we believe it's important that you, you get it together and you forgive when you need to. We have the directions. A Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. Bitterness is a poison we drink and wait for someone else to die. And here's an easy one. You get this? It's always right to do right. It's always right to do right. You know, because we have the directions, we're not guided by the prevailing fad. Or we're not guided by our feelings. We're guided by what the Bible says we should do in any particular situation. And so since we know that, it's always right to do that. It's always right to do right. It's not complicated. There's a verse in James chapter 4 that haunts me sometimes. It says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Some of you think you're all right just because you're, you're not doing some of the big sins. But Scripture says if you know the good things you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that's, that's sin as well. What are some of those right things? One of, the, one of my sons, in, in answering the question I sent out, he said, one of our rules is you never abandon a friend. No matter the circumstances. That one made me, man, that, I was proud of that one. Because we talk a lot about loyalty and loving to the end. And Man, I, I made a decision even this week. Even in the last week, I, I've made a decision to, to stand with a friend. Whatever the consequences are to me. Why? Because it's always right to do right. Just one small example. We have the directions. A Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. Bitterness is the poison we drink while we wait for someone else to die. It's always right to do right. And here's the last rule I'm going to give you today. We could do so many more, but here's a big one. Jesus loves you. He loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you like you are. Man, that's something. I, I just want everybody who is a part of our family to understand that's why often at the end of our service, you'll hear me say, it's not about raising a hand or even being dunked in a pool of water. It's not about going through church class or catechism or, or being dipped. You know, it's about a time in your life where you've understood the love of God in such a way that you've surrendered yourself to be conformed into his image. That's what Romans 2 says. Jesus wants to change you. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Some of you, man, I'm just telling you, I love you. I'm going to do my very best to be kind to you and to represent Jesus to you. But you're not growing in your faith. You're not changing in your faith. And one of the rules of this family is that, man, Jesus loves you. And I'm so thankful in his grace. He loves us where we are. But that doesn't mean he wants to leave us there. With every day we're gifted with life, we should more reflect the image of God. And we should be doing whatever it takes to make that happen. Why? Because the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new, the new has come. Uh, understand this. If these directions are true, it's not enough just to go through the motions. If these directions are true, we've got to do whatever it takes to be all in. I believe God has given us truth that can transform our society. The the answer to the problems we're facing are not in Tallahassee or in Washington, D.C. The answers are found in the directions that God has given to us. And so we have got to live it out as his representatives on this earth. We must stay on mission. We must stay on mission. This is what helps us keep together. Even though we are multi-generational and multi-ethnic and constantly multiplying, we have to stay on mission. Have you ever watched the Pro Bowl? Now, every... uh, Every sport has some kind of an all-star game. But, but the Pro Bowl for the NFL has to be the silliest game out there. I mean, it, it's kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. In fact, they moved it to Orlando, where millions of people are always there, and they still can't fill up a stadium to watch these NFL players. These guys who all have on the same jerseys, but they're wearing different helmets. It's like, listen to this, their head's not in the game. And you just watch it. It's not. They don't want to get hurt. They're not going all out. They're just playing a game, and they're not accomplishing much. And I'm just telling you, that's the way a lot of churches are. But I don't want our church to be that way. I don't want to just play games. I want to make a difference. (laughs) One of my sons in our little family rule chat, he, he said, we were taught not just to make memories, but to leave a legacy. That's what I want. And that's what I want for you. And that's why we need some family rules. So let me just ask you, are you living by the family rules? 
There's a, a great verse in 1 Peter in chapter 4. Listen to this. It, it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If we get this right, man, we can make an eternal impact. Just like you heard Caleb Colton say, an eternal difference. May that be so for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads together. With our heads bowed in these moments, can I challenge you to to think through how God would have you respond to the truths that you've heard today? Because of the manner of this message, it, it may be that there was a specific thing that just hit you. Maybe you need more time in the Word the directions. Maybe, maybe you're just dealing with that unkindness in your life. Or maybe you've got to struggle with bitterness. Or maybe you're making some decisions and you're not doing right. Maybe you've been content not changing and growing in your faith. I don't, I don't know. But when we hear God's Word, um, the intent's not just to take it in and, and then... <laughs> Leave it on our seats like a tub of popcorn after we've been to the movie? No. The intent is to internalize it and change it and say, God, what do you need to do in me? That's what I want you to do right now. But somebody's here today. I've been praying for you. You need a relationship with Jesus. You see, this is not just about rules. And in fact, the whole idea of being a family illustrates the fact that we're not together based on rules. We're together based on relationship. So you might follow some of the rules, but if you don't have the relationship, you're still missing out. So what about you? If, if your life ended today, if you entered into eternity today, Do you know for certain that because of a relationship with Jesus, you'd spend forever with God in heaven? If you don't, why not nail that down right here, right now? See, the Bible says that every one of us are born separated from God. We're separated because of our sin. That sin, if it's undealt with, it's going to have to be punished. Because sin always has to be punished. In fact, we know the punishment is death. But God doesn't want you to experience that. Jesus loves you so much that he died your death. That's what the gospel is all about. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He took your punishment so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have his grace. But you've got to lean in on him. You've got to trust him. You've got to acknowledge that he is in control. When you do that, the Bible says you become a child of God, part of the family of God. That's the most important thing that could happen to you. So if you've never taken that step, could I invite you to cry out to God right now? And you can do that in your own words. Just let him know that you, you desire that right relationship with him. But, but maybe, maybe you just pray this simple prayer.
Not a magic prayer, but you can express your desire to God. Just say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you took my punishment. You've forgiven me. And I'm ready to trust you with everything. So this is my turning point. I'm turning from my sin, from myself, and I'm turning to you, Jesus. Save me. Change me. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, say, thank you, Jesus. Say, thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm not going to come to anyone and embarrass you, draw attention to you. I would ask that you keep your eyes closed just out of respect to others. But if you just prayed that prayer, I want to do one simple thing. I want to be able to say, welcome to the family of God. So if you just prayed that prayer with me, beginning a relationship with Christ, where you're seated right now, where you are, would you just lift your hand when I count to three? If you just prayed that prayer, beginning that relationship with Jesus Christ, committing your life to him when I count to three would you just raise your hand one two three that's awesome welcome to God's family welcome to God's family there in the back welcome to God's family welcome to God's family over to my left welcome to God's family welcome to God's family now I want to pray for you father in the name of Jesus we say thank you because you're changing lives even here today You're doing miracles. The greatest miracle that could ever be done is that someone like me, a sinner, who should have the punishment of hell, is given the opportunity to have forgiveness and grace and life in you. So thank you, Jesus. So Lord, whether it be for those that just began that relationship, or God, whether it be those that have long time followed you, would you just give us a heart for the things of you? Lord, give us a hunger to follow the directions. Give us a desire to represent you well. Lord, help us to make those right choices for your glory. Lord, change us. And then, Lord, in a few minutes as we leave this room, would you bless us, Lord? Would you allow your face to shine upon us? Would you keep us in constant contact with you? And would you do this for your glory? And I thank you for this, Lord. In the name of